Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts in residence and pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. On Monday, May 20th, Amy Nelson's gonna come on, and we're gonna talk social media, but specifically how to drive revenue and connect with important stakeholders that matter to you in your business using social media. The next day, we have Noshin Chen, and she's gonna lead a presentation about how to become a better communicator, how to increase those skills faster, because that's gonna help you not just connect with new people, new clients, but also get your idea across better ton of takeaways in that presentation. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage workshop series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Hey, just a heads up, this episode contains some explicit language, some enthusiastic nouns and verbs, and it may not be appropriate for younger audiences. So headphones are advised. Instead of just being like, hey, here's a product feature. It's like, hey, here's a product feature that we built for ourselves. And here's the proof that it works. And here's how you can adopt it yourself. So it's like, we're really kind of tying that community as a thread through the entire business. Kind of like I mentioned before, versus like, yeah, we got a Slack group. We can hang out, have fun. Which is, I think, how a lot of community initiatives really are when you boil them down right now. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am Jillian Benbow, along with my co-host. Tony Bacigalupo. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hello, hello. Tony, we have such an amazing guest today, Mac Redden, the founder of Comsor and the Community Club. And yes, I'm so jazzed. He's such a delight. He runs a platform. He runs Comsor. They do several things, but the, like community based platforms that you can purchase, right? But then they also run the community club and that is a community for community builders. And by the way, it's amazing if you're interested. But the the interesting thing about it, I think, and what makes it so unique is the community club is not about Comsor. They're not necessarily directly related. There's a lot of overlap, but the goal isn't to acquire customers. The goal is to support community builders in all stages. And treat it as like a true, just this is a community about community. I feel like it's a great example of service first being so valuable as a business approach that Community Club is rooted in generosity, even if it serves ultimately as a marketing vehicle for him and for his businesses, it doesn't show. You could be a part of Community Club and it doesn't feel like it's just one giant billboard for the other stuff. It's a way of building value, building trust, and then 
now I've got a good relationship with the folks who are here. And when I'm ready, I'm going to be aware of this cool company that they run that I can, I can be a customer of. And so it's a really, really valuable relationship between the two. And he's exemplifying that with that particular example. He's rebuilding that with his new NFT project, which we're going to get into. So really refining this approach. We have a lot to learn from him. It's great. Yeah. So stay tuned. We're talking to Mac Redden and see how many dinosaurs you can spot in the episode. It'll make sense soon. I promise. Okay, Mac Redden, Comsor, so great to have you along. We have so much to talk about today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. For I can't imagine anybody listening because we're all a pretty tight community. Community podcast doesn't know who you are, but just in case, tell us what is Comsor and maybe a little bit of the community club just for just for flourish. I don't know. I guess we're a lot of things <laughs> in some ways. We've been we've been using the line that we're that we're a full stack community company. We're not just a software company. Um, we are building software for community teams, the community OS, Meetsy, and, and things like that. But we're also building the community club, which is a community for community builders. And part of that, we have an education arm, C school. So we're <laughs> that's kind of the short answer. But there's a lot of threads you can pull on when you ask what is comms. Yeah, no joke. And like. You do a ton. I was creeping on your LinkedIn before the interview just to make sure I had it all straight. And it very much seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of come from like the product world and that side of community. And it, it makes sense. Like your origin story is mapped out on your LinkedIn bio, right? Like the the, the jobs you've had, like you've, you've been in both community and product. And so then lo and behold, Comsor comes along like it's it's kind of like you married the two into something like really legit and very community focused, which is very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I my my background is kind of as a bootstrapper, so I like to say like sometimes you have like the sales founder versus the technical founder, and I like to say that I'm more of like a maker founder. I like making things, and this time around, I made a thing that happened to get a lot bigger than any other thing I made in the past. Is honestly the truth of how Comsor came to be. But that's how it is, right? No one ever talks about that. Like you get that one idea that takes off, and everyone's like, "Wow." you know, and compares themselves to you at that point or vice versa. We compare ourselves to that person who's at that point. But the reality is there's a lot of things that were tried along the way that maybe didn't quite fit, but that's how you figure it out. Oh yeah. You don't see the whole, like the strewn list of like failed ideas that <laughs> existed over the past 10 years to get to this point. Right. It's uh unless you it, put them on LinkedIn. Well, but yeah. yeah, but you know, usually, usually <laughs> folks, there's there, a lot of them are not on LinkedIn. <laughs> right. No, Transparently sure, sure. it's uh but yeah, it is part. It's, it's actually wild how often you're working on a thing. I'm like, oh, actually, because this thing I did like five years ago, which was a total failure, but I actually kind of have a piece that can get pulled out of that that's relevant here. And it all it all ties together in one way or another at some point. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think something to note, I, I just love that you do have it all because the community club and then like the education arm, all of that, like you said, the C-School, which I love that name. And I know Noel is is on your team now and and helping lead the way of that, which is awesome. But you have these amazing resources and also just the tools and resources page I was playing with earlier. And for anybody working in community, there's just assets. There's so many great things. And obviously the community club, which is on Slack, 
to talk to other people in community, which sometimes, especially if you're a solo CM for a company that isn't community first focused, it can be very lonely. So if anybody listening is in that place and you're not in the community club, I would like most community managers right now. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a place to find camaraderie and sounding board and just not feel alone. But then the comms are side, so it's more, you know, yeah, like you said, it's a platform, it's it's software. Tell us more about what you do. Yeah, so we have two kind of products, if you will, in our kind of product suite. I don't know if it's called a suite until there's more than maybe three, but we'll call it that. The core of it is what we call the community OS, the comms OS. The name kind of gets interchanged depending on the time of day you ask. And essentially, the short version is it's kind of like what HubSpot is to a marketing team or Salesforce is to a sales team. Uh, it actually started... I guess about two and a half years ago as a community CRM. And it actually started as a uh, hackathon entry for a product hunt, no code hackathon. So no intention of it being a product, let alone a company, let alone what it's become today. And it was really just trying to solve that problem that community exists in a lot of different places from a company's perspective. They have their Slack and their forums and their ambassador program and their social media and their events and their newsletter and their podcast, like all these different places where community engagement happens. And very often, if you ask a community manager a simple question like, how many members are in your community? It's like, well, I don't know. We got 10,000 here and 5,000 here and 30,000 here. And we don't know who's active. We don't know what the overlap is. So that was kind of the initial problem we, we set out to solve. And it's, it's evolved into a lot more. But that's the core product we have, essentially, is like the, the kind of data backend for community teams. Which is so valuable. There's so many insights available in the metrics and like looking at trends and whatnot to, to have like the deepest access possible, obviously, is just... Great. Or to have something that will talk to <laughs> talk to the other platforms you use and make it all make sense. Something I was reading about, it seems, your mission, ComSource, seems to be very focused on um, helping businesses be community first and, and to, to see the value of, of investing in and continuing to support the community piece. Is that from your own journey as a community manager? What got you focused on that as a company? Uh, I think we've been, you know, maybe less like obviously focused, but have been focused on that since since day one. So I like to say that I've been a community manager for or community builder, depending on which one you want to use for for ten years, unintentionally for five years, and intentionally for five years. So my first business actually was uh, built in the gaming space. Was a huge community component to it. I didn't really realize it at the time. I got lucky enough to, to actually sell that business after about four and a half years for, by bootstrapper standards, it was a great success. By VC back standards, it was a non-event, right? Those are two very like far ends of the spectrums. <laughs> very, dis- di- completely different planets, right? Yeah, I'd call it <laughs> I a was success. 23 and like sold a company, right? Like what more could you ask for at that age? Just a success, straight up success. <laughs> that's, a, that's awesome. Um, but like doesn't even move the needle for a VC to even get out of bed. That's in a whole separate rabbit holes, like the difference between running a VC back company. But, and it was kind of when I stepped away from that business that I realized that one, the community building aspect of it had been the hat I enjoyed most of all the 6,000 hats I wore. And the community we built had actually been what enabled it to be a successful business. So that was kind of what got me thinking about community intentionally. And long story short, got comps to where it is today in some, some form or another. But I think it was really like, you know, two and a half years ago, knew I wanted to do com- something in the community space. Started digging into it, kind of built the community club, built the newsletter. It's called Community Chat back then. Actually, it wasn't called Community Club yet. Um, and it was a simple Substack newsletter that was just like, here are the cool tweets from community this week. There's really not much more to it. But I think it's really part of just like putting a broader mission behind what we're doing versus like, yeah, here's some software. Great. Buy it. You get some numbers. Some people are happy. Some people are not. 
I think there's something bigger around enabling companies to adopt community, the core of what they do versus just do community. And I think right now, there's a lot of companies you can look at where they have a community, but if you peel back a layer or two, they're not community-led. They're not being intentional about community. I think that's really the thing we're trying to push companies to do. Um, like, I like to use Tesla as an example, right? Everyone knows that Tesla has a thriving community. There's millions of people that will talk about Tesla, go to Tesla meetups, join their subreddit. But Tesla themselves don't really do a whole lot. They're not very intentional about how they build that community, how they engage with it. Like The community exists, but not because Tesla necessarily wanted it to or did anything with it. Like Simple thing. They did a software update a few weeks ago. It's awful. Like if you drive a Tesla, it is awful. If they had just like asked a hundred community members, like, hey, do you think this is a good idea or not? They probably wouldn't have shipped it. It's like little things like that where companies are not being intentional and like leveraging community for the value it can drive for the business. That's the real difference. Because companies have had communities in some form or another for years. But this intentional part is what's new or what feels new-ish at least. We use the distinction between an audience and a community defining kind of the audience as the passive consumers of the stuff that the company is giving. Maybe there's some participation, but largely there's a very hierarchical structure between the two. And it's very clear kind of where people's roles are at. And I think we have a lot of conflation between the two now, people who are calling something a community uh, when it's really more of an audience. Yeah, it's like subscribe to my new, or like join our community, but it's a newsletter subscription form. And you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> How do you articulate or how do you embody that difference in your own work? How do you build something that's a community and not just an audience? It's uh, a, <laughs> a difficult question to answer, I think. I think one of the, the beauties and the kind of dangers of community is that it can manifest in so many different ways, right? Community for one initiative versus another company versus that, like, it takes so many different forms. Just like sales is kind of like sales is sales. Marketing is marketing. Yeah, maybe it's a different consumer and enterprise, but like, it's pretty much the same thing with a different coat of paint. Community can be like completely different. So I think, I mean, the simple act is it's like, it's bringing people together, right? I think a lot of times companies, we actually have this thing we call the community-led model. And part of that, we have like this difference between broadcasting and connecting. So broadcasting is that audience model. It's like pushing information out. Whereas the community model is like pulling people in around what you're doing. And that's, and once again, that can take on so many different shapes and forms depending on the company and what that pulling in actually looks like. It's not necessarily always as obvious or as simple as like, let's put people on a forum or a Slack or like a tangible space. It, it kind of feels like product-led in a way, this community-led thing where it's like product-led is not like a tangible thing you necessarily look at. It's like it affects the entire way a company works, right? It affects how their marketing team works. It affects how their sales team works. It affects how their product team works. Just like a truly community-led company is not just like, we have a community, therefore we're community-led. It's actually like, it does impact how the entire organization functions if you put community at the core and, and how it manifests is, is different. That's some kind of a bit of a, a non-answer maybe, but it is like big asterisks on anything about communities. Like, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> So Let's put it in like more concrete terms. You got your hand in a lot of different pots right now. Where where are you working on building community and facing this? Like, how are you trying to build a real community as opposed to an audience in one of your projects now? Yeah, well, I guess the community club is our kind of primary vessel through which our community building happens. And it's actually pretty interesting. It's, it's you'll notice it's not called the Commsort community. And we have people that'll be a community member for a year. And they'll notice, wait you guys are also the people behind Commsource. So we've like very intentionally made it bigger 
than Commissar. And that's actually one of the interesting shifts that I think is happening with more companies right now is this shift from community of product to community of interest, where historically it was like you buy our product, then you join our community, right? You join the community, talk about the product, get support, send product ideas, which that's all good. And that, you know, I'm not saying companies shouldn't do communities of product, but it very much limits the scope of conversation and reason for people to be there. Whereas a community of interest is like you join the community, then you come to the product. It actually flips that script on its head. So we're, we're doing a lot of that. I think we're doing a lot of, we like to say like, kind of like show, not tell, right? We're trying to like build community and, and show people how we're doing it and like dog fooding our own products. And so very often we'll actually like, we'll have an idea for a product feature. We'll like test it manually or through no code things in our own community, take those learnings, then convert it into product stuff, then combine the learnings and the product and push that to our customers. So it's like, we're combining a lot more of just, and rather than just being like, hey, here's a product feature, it's like, hey, here's a product feature that we built for ourselves and here's the proof that it works and here's how you can adopt it yourself. So it's like, we're really kind of tying that community as a thread through the entire business, kind of like I mentioned before, versus like, yeah, we got a Slack group, we can hang out, have fun, which is, I think, how a lot of community initiatives really are when you boil them down right now. Yeah. So like, how does, uh, like, if I'm in community club, I want to be more than just a lurker how do I surface and become more of a active participant in the community? Yeah, there's a lot of ways. That's another thing I think that's interesting is that community members come in different shapes and forms, right? And there are some members that they might be in our Slack and they've never posted a thing, but they open and read our newsletter every single week and they still get value out of content being created in the community. So we've created a whole kind of host of like initiatives and different ways you can get involved. So we have a mentorship program. So we'll have folks that kind of come into the community because they start because they want to find a mentor. They just got their first job in community. How do I get started? We have Meetsy, which is an introduction infrastructure, helps people like get connected. People will start there or they'll join the Slack and they'll just start posting a question or they'll start by attending an event. So there's a lot of different kind of on-ramps into the community. And some people will get involved with one and then over time get involved with all of them. Some people will get involved in one and never get involved more than that. And, and that's okay. It's like this idea of engagement comes in lots of different forms. And that's actually funny. That's one of the struggles we're trying to build for with our software is like defining what an engaged community member is, is not as simple as just like, did they post a thing or not? It's like vastly more complicated than I think the data problem that like a sales or a marketing team tries to solve where it's like, yes, someone downloaded our ebook, therefore they're a marketing qualified lead. Done. Easy. Community is much less obvious at times. Yeah. It can be a hard thing for software to track. You know, you could have a really great community and not be not and have a hard time seeing that show up in the numbers for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think one of our things is we're talking about like telling a story with the numbers. It's not important. It's not as important to be like, Hey, you have a thousand members and 600 of them were active last month, but actually trying to look at like, how does someone engaging with the community from a business perspective, impact numbers outside of community. And that's once again, like this idea of pulling the thread through is if you are head of community for a company and you go to your head of sales and you're like, we have 5,000 members in our community, your head of sales is probably going to go, okay, cool. But if you can say, hey, we have 5,000 members in our community and these 200 are actually like on your lead list and they're engaging our community, it's like, okay, well, now you've added context that's actually interesting. So a lot of it is like, how do you take these community numbers and like add a context so other members of the company can understand the value? And by doing that, move community kind of more to the core of the company versus the kind of excuse my French, bastard child bolt on that it's historically been where it's like, yeah, we'll just like throw it under marketing. Like, great. We have a Slack channel now. We have a community. Like, how do you move it more to the center? I really appreciate that you said, excuse my French before saying the word bastard. You know, we try to avoid the, the sweary swears uh, when we can. Do we? Although, 
do we? We are going to have the guy from Fuck Up Nights on a future episode. So. That's going to be a hard one to avoid. It's going to be a fun one. <laughs> Profanities are going to happen. <laughs> Sometimes a good single profanity can really get the point across, though. Yeah, yeah, but you got to save them up. So I surmise that using ComSource tools helps you to do a better job of being able to quantify some of these things and just understand your community better. Do you have any kind of like good specific case studies or stories of, I was running my community and it was a, it was cool, but it was kind of a mess and I didn't know what's going on. Started using these tools. Now I got this very specific insight that helped me maybe make an adjustment and really take it to the next level. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot. And I think Okay, like I think we're not trying to position our tool as like a replacement for the human work that goes into community. I think it's pretty easy sometimes you look at the growing number of sales and marketing tools that are like, you don't need a marketer now. This is like automated. You don't need a salesperson now. This sends automated outbound messages. Community is like the opposite of all of that. So we like to frame our tools. It's more of like, it's like a data brain to enable the humans who are working in community to do a better job of the things that software can't do. It's not a replacement for that. So I've had folks be like, oh, I don't need to hire a community manager if I buy your software. And you're like, well... No, that's not like you can't. If you buy Salesforce and you don't have a sales team, Salesforce is not going to sell your product for you, right? Probably kind of similar to that. We have a lot of folks think just like getting the data in one place, just like the time it saves them, where they just have access to the information at their fingertips. They understand who to engage with when. Like, yeah, you got 500 members in your community. You can probably keep that in your head. You have a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand. That's not possible anymore. Uh, I, I, a lot of our customers before they came to us were dealing with like, the manual data wrangling in a Google sheet or an Airtable, And they were getting maybe like a third of the way towards what like comments gives them manually, but it was taking like eight hours of their week just to like collect data and put it together. So a lot of it is like the kind of like day one value is like save you time so you can do more of the things that you should be doing as a community manager, not downloading CSVs and trying to mix them together and have all that. So that's like right out of the gate. A lot of people find value in that because it's just yeah, they can just do their jobs more effectively. I love that. That makes it really concrete for me because I've managed communities at various sizes. And I have a lot of experience with spit and glue of like, I can look at a, a spreadsheet or an air table. And I know like, this is my community. I know what's going on with all of these people. Uh, but that doesn't like past a certain point. It, you just can't anymore. And you're going to need some firepower to help you handle that that larger scale. Yeah. Just like you start out as the first salesperson in a startup. Yeah. Use a Notion table as your CRM and you're tracking sales deals, right? But at a certain point, you end up with a purpose-built tool. And that's kind of what we're we're trying to build for. It's like, listen, if you're starting your community today, realistically, you don't need Comsor on day one for most people, which also is a funny thing. I can't imagine. Like people are always like, wait, you're going to tell me I don't need the tool? Like, why aren't you going to try and sell it to me? It's like, you don't need it. <laughs> it's funny how surprised people are sometimes when you say that. Yeah, that helps build trust too, though. It's like, oh, okay. That's like one of the pillars of community, right? Is like authenticity and trust. And it's great. Like I'll actually hop on a sales call with someone, like the power of community, by the way. They'll have been a member of the community club for like six, nine months. On a 30-minute sales call, they'll spend 15 minutes be like, oh my God, I love the community. I met this person, this resource, this event you guys did. And then I'm like, hey, can I like show you our product? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, of course you can show us the product. Like, yeah, yeah, like I love what you guys are doing. Like it builds such like, an authenticity that just doesn't exist in a traditional sales or marketing. Social capital. Gotta love it. I'm curious. I have follow-up questions to that, but first, first pre-follow-up follow-up, what do you think? Is there like a number y'all have figured out that you're like, once you have this many members or this like benchmark within growth or whatever, that like it's time for a more robust platform like this? It 
Depends again. Just going to put that caveat (laughs) out there. It seems to be somewhere in like the 500 to 1,000 member mark is where like a community manager can no longer just like do it in their head. We've got customers that have like three or 400 members that are using our product to great value. We've spoken to folks that are like, "Eh, I don't think I need this. I have 10,000. So it's like it it differs from community to community depending on. And also because like, you know, 500 members in a Slack channel feels like significantly more than 500 members on a Reddit community for example, right? Like the number also manifests in different ways depending on the location. Or like 500 members in a forum will feel like less than 500 in a Slack just because the nature of async versus sync and things like that. We've also found that it typically comes down to like the number of tools. Like if all you have is a Slack, you can probably get away with managing in your head for longer. But once you start to layer in, you want to have a Twitter, a newsletter, events, that's like, even if you only have 500 members, the multi-channel aspect typically necessitates a need for something a bit more <laughs> substantial. It's interesting because you, when I talk to community builders, there's, you know, various pain points that come up as, as is true in any business or, or endeavor. And I feel like it might help over time if we're able to create more clear cut senses of like different scales of a community organism to say like, Hey, you know, in the beginning, you don't need super tools for this and that. But once you start reaching kind of the boundary of your scale, you're going to start hitting these pain points because you're starting to become that next level of community where you're going to need these tools because things that you used to be able to just do yourself, you can't anymore. Yeah, I think over the last year and a half, most people that we've sold Commsort to or like the Commsort OS have been folks who've gotten to the point where it got too far. Like the community got out of hand. They're like, holy crap, I've got thousands of members. It's working, but like... It's duct taped together. It's a huge mess behind the scenes. Like that's, and then now we're seeing a lot more of kind of folks who are coming in from zero who are like, okay, we've decided community is important to us as a company. We're going to start from zero. How can you help us? But early on, it was like people who knew community was important already and got the cart in front of the horse in some ways. I mean, community managers are like superheroes. It's like you look at the amount of work that they handle, right? Across like small teams and small budgets. It's, it's, it's wild. That's changing. There's been a huge increase in the number of community teams that are like actually teams now instead of communities of one or teams of one. So it's it's changing. There's there's a lot of demand for community. That's actually a separate topic, which is like the community buzzword effect of the last year and a half where every company is like community is important and where are they really getting it right or wrong? My favorite anecdotal point on that kind of growth is that when we started our newsletter about two years ago, I would spend an hour to a week hunting for like five jobs to include in the job section. Now, every week we're like, which 20 of the 300 jobs are we going to include this week? (laughs) It's so great though. You still though, you can still go on like Glassdoor or whatever and look for community roles and it'll be like a senior housing development. They're like, we need a community manager. Community manager is just a terrible title. It's like has manager in it, which is misleading at times. It's been co-opted now to sometimes mean social media, to mean marketing, to mean like apartment community manager. We are seeing though that kind of specialization now of like community marketing, community operations. We're seeing a little bit of that happen over the last 12 months, which is a, a pretty good sign that the space is like, I don't want to say professionalizing. That's the wrong word because like there have been professional community managers for a long time, but like mature. We're growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Maturing is probably better. So to my follow-up, my actual follow-up question, and it's kind of jumping back in the conversation a bit, but we were talking about community club and, you know, you'd get on those calls with people and spend most of it. They would be gushing about how much they love the community. And something I love that happened in your community um, that these are just my favorite moments as like a community builder is when an inside joke starts, right? And you had an inside joke 
that evolved into an entire kind of like big part of your brand. <laughs> so I'd love you to tell us about the Comsor dinosaur. <laughs> yes, it's literally our logo now. Now we're talking about Comsor S A U R. Comsor. Yes, yes. it's it, it needs to be written out. So if you're listening to this, it's confusing, right? But it's uh it's about a year ago, probably. So our company is spelled C-O-M-M-S-O-R for anyone listening. And someone misspelled, I think it was in the Slack. It might've been on Twitter. I can't actually remember. They misspelled it as C-O-M-M-S-A-U-R. It instantly someone went like, ha like a dinosaur. And over the last year, it just kind of within our team, within our community, the dinosaur thing just took a hold. Dinosaur puns, dinosaur references, the commissar came back. It kind of became our like internal mascot. And we actually ended up adopting it. And I think about a month ago, we, we updated our logo. Our logo is now the Comsor. Full, full outward brand. <laughs> yes. it's uh, And actually part of that is like, yeah, we're building kind of like this full stack community, but like a full stack software company. But like a lot of it is targeted towards enterprise. And like very often enterprise branding is like kind of boring, but community like can and should be fun. I think community is often the place where like a brand can have a voice that's a little bit more unique and fun and interesting than traditional brand communications. So like if community can and should be fun, why can't common source branding be a little bit fun as well? So we, we tried to walk that line between like clean and enterprisey, but also there's dinosaurs all over our website now. So I don't know how clean and enterprisey that is at the end of the day. But yeah, it was an inside joke that went super far. And actually, I think I wrote a blog post about a year ago about this idea of community market fit. Like how do you know that your community is working? kind of like product market fit and your community has inside jokes was one of the the pieces on that. It's so true in so many ways. And it's the kind of inside, it's, I mean, this is an example of just the perfect inside joke. Cause it's, you know, it's not harmful in any way. It's not, it's not mean spirited. It's just silly, but the funny, and it does Comsor kind of has that dinosaur end <laughs> if you want it to. But the fact that someone can join your community today and maybe not know, what the dinosaur means and then find out and jump into the jokes immediately and be a part of it. Like it's not, it's, it's super inclusive. Like it's just, it's like, mwah, it's perfect. And, and so much so that now your company is kind of dabbling in the NFT world. And from what I can tell, it's all dinosaurs all the time. <laughs> dinosaurs all the way through. <laughs> it's very Jurassic. <laughs> So how did, and, and, you know, this whole, like the NFT communities, like the discords and whatnot, I'm an oldie. So just like sitting here watching this, like the funniest thing I, I mean, I think I snorted seeing an Instagram meme or something about like, it was like the original NFTs. And it was a picture of one of those, like from the nineties, like in the mall, those, um, things you'd put coins in and push the metal thing to, and, and then stickers would come out. Like you'd get some stickers and which ones did you get? Did you get the cool ones that they show you or did you get the crappy ones? And, and then like you could trade them and it was like the original NFTs. And I was like, first of all, I can already tell before I look that the comments are a bunch of like bros being like, well, those are fungible. <laughs> but also I was like, that's exactly how this is to me. Like, I don't know what's going on, but my old person tangent aside, it's interesting. A lot of different, I would say like community centric, community focused companies or um, groups, you know, depending how organized they are, are kind of dabbling in this. And then it's becoming like an offshoot community of its own. 
I'm curious your your experience on your end as as a uh, CEO of a company that is doing exactly that. Like, how is that going? Oh man, this is it's hard to answer that question without spending the rest of this episode talking just about that because there's like so many rabbit holes. Let's keep it at a, like a five year old. Yeah. Like, explain it to me like I'm five level for my sake. I mean, for, you know, totally for the audience, not totally for <laughs> follow. I think for us, it's I was never big into crypto, Web three. NFTs, anything like that. I fell down the rabbit hole a little bit six, seven, eight months ago, mostly because like, we're building a community company, right? And community obviously is a big part of this Web3 thing. Like every Web3 company has a community, like way more than it's like everyone has a Discord server. They all have community managers in some form or another. And it was like time and time again, it was like, hey, Comsor is the community company. When are you guys going to explore? Like, are you guys going to build anything for Web3 companies? Are you going to build something for Web3 companies? It was like, all right. So I started dabbling and experimenting and trying to figure out like, what does community in a Web3 world mean? I'm not one to like jump headfirst in without like knowing necessarily what I'm what I'm jumping into. So I was like experiment on the personal level and then maybe figure out what it means from there. And you know, caveat, I want to put the asterisks out in front as well that like there are a lot of problems with the NFT world, the NFT world. I know we announced that we we're doing NFTs. There were some people in our community that were like, How could you guys? It's this is awful. It's full of scams and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but at the same time, like, so is Web2, right? I can go pay a thousand dollars to get a course on how I'll make ten thousand dollars a month. Like that's a scam too, right? It's like, if there's an opportunity to make money, humans will find a way to scam people out of it. That's not unique to to Web3. That's just human nature, right? <laughs> if there's money involved, someone will find a way to cheat. But I think for us, so we, we put together a, a kind of a dinosaur-themed NFT project. And the idea is really to experiment and learn. We're not pivoting our company to Web3. We're not launching tools for Web3 companies, maybe not yet at least. But I'm always a fan of learning by doing and learning by experimenting. And just like we did with the community club, we learned what our software should be and what kind of company we should be by doing it with our community, by building a community and kind of doing them in parallel. So we want to take what we've done with the community club and kind of do it from a Web3 tilt. So we're building kind of an NFT project that's designed to fund resources and education and all the things we've done with the community club, but for Web3 community managers, because there's actually not a lot of that out there. If you think that community managers in the Web2 world haven't had support or resources the last 10 years, Web3 is like even further behind. So it's an experiment. It's a place for us to kind of learn and build a community and experiment what with what does community mean in a Web3 world? Because I'm not sure anyone has truly answered that question yet outside of people saying community is important in Web3. No one's really answered like, I can tell you what, web, what community means in Web2 world. I can tell you what the benefit is to a company. I can tell you how you should build it. Outside of like people have Discord servers and like they say community, what does it mean in Web3? So it, it's an experiment for us. It's, it's a thing where we want to figure it out with the community. It doesn't impact what we're doing with the community club. It's a separate kind of initiative uh, as part of it. And it's, it's a place for us to learn and experiment alongside people. So I'm curious about your hypothesis. You know, like we're breaking into this. You guys have your, your dinos are out. They've been minted. They've been, they've been bought. dino bones. and when i happened to catch kind of when this really launched not too long ago now and i saw a tweet on february 21st from the (laughs) comsor saying how nearly every web3 project has some form of community still a significant lack of education content definition along with our community we want to set the standard so i'm curious 
how are you guys aspiring to set the standard? I think, honestly, you can look at what we've done with the community club and it's going to be like a very similar model. But once again, with that, with that Web3 tilt, so it's we're going to experiment and learn ourselves what it means building community in Web3. We're going to build in the open. We're going to document it like AMA guests and events from other folks who've built communities successfully in the Web3 space and learning from them and learning alongside them. So, I mean, the honest answer is I don't know exactly what it looks like yet. That's kind of part of the part of the process is to figure out what that is. I like the idea that it is flexible. And so as an organization, you've chosen to take it a very community, <laughs> community focused way, obviously, right? Very on brand. And you can do that. And sure, there will be the people who don't get it, swoop in, and then they'll swoop out just like someone who's not planning to be engaged in your community versus the people who are highly engaged, get it, and they're behind it. And there's something really beautiful about that, that it can be this, I mean, for now anyways, like an offshoot of what people think of when they think of like crypto and NFTs and Web3, all of this jargon, I'm still wrapping my head around. Same for what it's worth. And I think the way you're, yeah, <laughs> I think we all are. It's Even those who say they know it all, I think are still figuring it out as they go. I think they know about the same amount as me. They just say it with confidence. They put the hard hat on and they carry the clipboard, right? And they can just get in anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there, I think the opportunity for artists, I think is really lovely. And I've seen a few different, unique ways of of leveraging this whole thing. Like there's a small little independent bookshop in this town kind of near where I live. And they minted some art that is to do with their bookstore. And if you buy it, then you can use that to get a discount every time you go in. So it is a form of like kind of membership. It's, you know, it's like co-opt almost, but it like how unique, right? What an interesting way to sh show support to your local bookshop just the guy that owns it is, you know, dabbling. He's trying stuff out. It's, it's neat. I think anyone who's like a community builder who's like, doesn't quite get it. I was like, literally think of it. It's just the simple fact of like, it's a paid community membership where there's no centralized authority that says you can't transfer that membership to someone else. That's what it is. And some, some communities, that membership is based purely on the speculation of the value of the membership. Others are based on actually gaining access to something that you want to be a member of. And there's a spectrum there. And yeah, a lot of projects right now are, financial <laughs> instruments that they don't want to be classified as that, but that's basically what they're trying to be. There's a lot of interesting use cases. And like I said, part of it is we want to do with this is figure out what those use cases are ourselves. Cause I don't know. I don't know the full answer yet. Yeah. I like your method of doing it where it's like, yeah, if the price goes up or down, it's based on community value. It's not you pulling levers, trying to manipulate it to make money. Well, this has been, I feel like I need to think about a lot of these things a lot for a bit and like should buy buy a com store and, and learn with us i know well i was just looking and i'm already confused <laughs> but it's it's on me not that's the biggest problem in the space honestly right now is it's like not very welcoming to new people well i think the part i don't get because i've got i've got the coinbase wallet i'm ready to go i've got crypto but then when it comes to this stuff i'm like wait how do i do this and then wait am i buying minted or second on, like on the market, like not secondhand. I don't know. It's so like we went out of our way, right? Like we like in our mint payments, like here's how you credit wallet. And some people were like, why are you explaining that? I know. And you're like, yeah, but like other people don't necessarily, right? Like it is, there is a little bit of like an us first them mentality sometimes in the web three space that is not super welcoming to folks who haven't done it for six months already. Having, having come up in the developer community or like the tech world, why are you explaining this? I know how it's a poignant moment. It's a, Yeah. But we are ready to ask you some questions that you can explain to us in a rapid fire format. Uh, Jill, are you going to lead the charge here? I think you should do it. I've been babbling. 
Oh, we, you, okay. You all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. I got it. I got this. <laughs> all right. So Mac, we are into the rapid fire where we're going to ask you quick questions. You give us quick answers, one sentence or less. We are going to do our very best to resist asking follow-up questions. Then we'll, we'll get your links and send you on your way. You feeling ready? Let's do it. It's a quiz. It's a crypto Uh-oh. quiz. I'm going to get I'm going to fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Explain to us in one sentence or less. Yeah, <laughs> I've already failed. It's fine. What are gas fees? No. Okay. Question number one. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, it depends on what age you asked me. Young cowboy. At some point, I wanted to be an astronaut like every 10-year-old boy. For a long time, I wanted to be a Lego set designer. That was the thing I wanted to do for a long time. Still super into Lego. You can see like Lego bonsai tree behind me. But yeah, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up is the current answer. That's totally fair. Uh, how do you define community? Oh, it depends on the type of day. Again, uh, I think it's, it's the act of bringing people together around a shared purpose. It's the simplest way I would put it. Succinct. I will take it. Let's talk your bucket list. What is something that you've checked off your bucket list? Something you've done? Uh, I went to the Galapagos Islands. Nice. Actually for four months too. <laughs> We got, we need to do, Joe, we need to do like a spinoff podcast of like follow up questions, entire episode conversations that spin from just the rapid <laughs> slow fire. fire, the slow yeah. fire, <laughs> slow fire, slow is a good fire. Name for a podcast. I'm, I'm registering the domain now, something on your bucket list that's still on the list that you've yet to do. I don't know. I'm not one that like keeps a very active bucket list. I like, I want to travel more classic cheesy answer. I think I'd like to build a cabin myself one day. It's on the list, like an A-frame cabin. I want to like build it myself from mm-hmm. scratch. That's one. That's legit. That is that is a killer, killer bucket list item. What is a book that you are loving, either currently or all time? I think Ender's Game is usually my go-to answer for like all-time fiction book. And actually, the I forget what it's called. There's this follow-up one to it, which is actually the same story, but told from one of the other characters' perspectives, from Bean's perspective. I can't remember what it's called. It's better than the original book, but not a lot of people know about it. So that's what I would recommend. If you're a fan of sci-fi, you have to read it. Amazing. If you could live anywhere else other than where you currently live, where would you live? Copenhagen, Denmark. Very specific. Gosh. I'm half Danish, so there is some bias there. I grew up spending a lot of time there. Amazing. And finally, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, wow. That's a loaded last question. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not someone who's gone through life doing things because I want to be remembered. I like doing things. I think I'm very much like an in the moment kind of person. I don't know. I want to be remembered for the things I did, I guess. That sounds kind of weird when I say it that way. But uh, yeah, I want to build things and I want to build cool things that other people like, basically. is this basically my entire purpose in life. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And how do we find you and all your awesome projects on the internets? A lot of it, you can start at comsor.com, C-O-M-M-S-O-R, just because it's a weird one. You don't want to end up on the Dino website. You want to end up on on the main one. And then myself, I have a weird social handle. So I'm the T-Guns, which is a whole separate backstory to it on places like Twitter. Awesome. Mac, (laughs) Mac, thank you so much for your time. Keep doing the amazing work you're doing. Appreciate you. And we'll be following your journey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Mac Redden, Comsor and Comsor and Com-sor. Community Club. Coms- Comsor. <laughs> Goodness. You know, I respect so much the willingness to just get out there and try stuff and invite people to join you for the journey. He even mentioned, like with Comsor, Comsor, S A U R. That it's clear that he doesn't have a full roadmap of exactly where it's going, 
but he knows that it's an interesting topic that his people also want to explore and learn more about as they go. And they went and sold 3,333 dino NFTs to people who want to go on that journey with them. And gosh, I, I respect that. That is dino might. <laughs> you, you have been dying to use that. <laughs> I have. I it's just been in I my just, pocket for I a while. I just lobbed that one up to you. And you just, whoosh, I just waited. It and I was like, no, oh, it's the perfect serve. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love that he even said, you know, we're talking about it. And he's like, I don't totally understand this space, but that's why we're going <laughs> to, we're going to try it and figure out how to do community in it and do it well to become a resource for people. And along the way, they have cute little dinosaurs. Even if you go look at their their website, like forget about seeing pictures, you're going to see their their little app dinosaur avatars, which I think is cute. You know, I got to say, like it really, I think specifically because it's an NFT project, it helps to even further underscore that commitment. Because when I look at it from the outside, I think, okay, they're selling pictures of dinosaurs. And so it, I think for me, it really helps to be a bit of a, an antidote to perfectionism to say, if I'm going to go off and, and, and work on some new project, I inherently can't have it all figured out when I hit the launch button. And the more that I can integrate that into my process leading up to and, and after launching a project, the more likely I'm going to be able to bring people along for the ride and build something that that we can work on together. I think in community in particular, there's such a value of building in public and building together. So you say, hey, let's try this thing. And then you're, you know, the people interested, the community members who want to be a part of it, they're invested. They're all, they're part of the ride. They're part of the observations and the discussions on like, oh, should we try this? Did this work? And if it's a total flop, if it's a total failure, it's a learning experience for everybody. Like it's not, you're not going at it alone. It's very community, you know? And so of course, naturally, I love it. Just coming back to the more grounded uh, world of community club and what he's done previously that's been more proven, underscoring the value, again, of, of figuring out how to be of service, even to people who aren't your customers, you're also learning how to be better at what you do. And so they've used that as their own case study. I'm sure they're using their own tools as a way of running community club and learning how to run community club better because their tools are helping them. So they're kind of being their own client and learning from it as they go. And we're kind of playing with similar ideas now for SPI Pro and, you know, learning how to teach people how to build communities using Circle and things like that. It's it's fun to see their example. Yeah, you're not wrong that, it is a place for them to use their tools and in a passive way, gain customers. For example, they acquired Meetsy and anybody who's used Meetsy, like it's a wonderful tool for getting, especially companies, by the way, but just putting people together to get to know people you might otherwise not. Um, I know a, a great model for it, just as an aside, is getting this, your CEO on calls with other people in your company to just get to know them. But yes, overall, I, I think it's a very clever model. To, to have this community that is free, that is about community building, but then your products are all community related. And if you're using them within that community, it's, it's natural that people, if they need a, 
if they need some sort of meat software, they're going to be like, oh, Meatsy, I know how to use that. Yeah, that's great. It's a good example. And I feel like it's a good prompt for discussion just to think, how can I be providing value and how can I be experimenting in a way that maybe we don't even know where it's going to lead yet. So if you're not running something currently, this is still relevant to you. I think we see this time and again that a lot of really great projects, communities, businesses start out as experiments, start out as side projects, something for fun. And it could become super successful and still never actually be a business per se, but could become this thriving thing, which still provides a lot of value for you and for the people involved, which then kind of, you know, supports wherever you end up going in a more professional way. Oh, show. So if this is inspiring to you, I would love to hear it. Please send us a message. We are Team SPI on Twitter. And we want to know, are you thinking about how you might be able to build something that can serve folks who aren't necessarily your customers? Go ahead and hit us up on the Twitters. Thanks for being with us. We will see you next Tuesday. This has been The Community Experience. For more information on this episode, including links and show notes, head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen. If you want to find Mac Redden, he is at the T-Guns, the T-E-A guns on Twitter. And his community can be found. It's Comsor, C-O-M-M-S-O-R, and Comsor, C-O-M-M-S-A-U-R. You can find those on Twitter. It's also Comsor.com. Yeah, they're all over the internets as both of those monikers. So go ahead and check them out. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Editing and sound design by Duncan Brown. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time.